While they're being seated, a couple more housekeeping matters, if you will. Uh, at the end of the service, uh, you do not have to go in and out just one door. Uh, I call it the shotgun approach. Y'all can scatter out of any door you want to. And uh, some of our men will be standing there holding the doors open for you as you leave. And uh, the pews you're sitting in were not sat in in the early service. We swapped them, okay? So the ones that are roped off were used this morning. So y'all are sitting in clean, special pews. They haven't been sat in for about five months. So they ought to be nice and soft and cushy, you know. Cushions ought not be worn. Another housekeeping matter is today is Brian and Tanya's 24th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, Tanya, that you stayed married to that man for 24 years. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> no, they're a sweet couple. We are blessed to have Brian and Tanya and Carly and Kara and Chandler. They're such a sweet family. And congratulations, 24 years, Brian. Glad to have you back from vacation, too. All right, so July the 28th, 2019. Coming up on one year ago, I asked the church this question. What does our Lord have in store for his church here in the next decade? And then I asked this question. Does anybody know? Nobody raised their hand. Nobody knew. Nobody could tell what was going to happen. Nobody could predict that we would be where we are today. In fact, do y'all remember this? That ink has been on there for about a year. I haven't erased it. I did this on July the 28th, 2019. We talked about how sometimes we make plans, but we need to hold those plans loosely because we never know what the reality will be. How much more appropriate is that for us now and, and with the perspective that we have with what's gone on in the last five months? On that day, I started a sermon series called 2020 Vision with all my heart. And I told you all at that time that I thought it might take several weeks or a couple of months, but here we are one year later in the same series. I didn't expect God to give us this much on this subject, but I believe that He was and still is preparing us for what was and is to come. Remember, I asked the question, what does the Lord desire us to be you know when you think about vision especially 2020 vision we think of perfect vision being able to see clearly but who could have clearly seen what was coming in 2020 anybody but God God knew what was coming did he not he knew and He desires us not to be so much busy about what we're trying to do, but He wants us to be the kind of people He wants us to be. And so we looked at 2 Chronicles 16.9 as our theme verse for the whole series where it says the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the whole earth looking to show Himself strong on behalf of the one whose heart is loyal and devoted to Him. 
And so God desires us to be a people devoted and loyal to him with all of our hearts. And that was the phrase that God gave me and that we've been using. And we've been looking at six so far, six things that that phrase is connected to throughout the scripture. Loving the Lord with all of our heart, seeking the Lord with all of our heart, serving the Lord with all of our heart, obeying the Lord with all of our heart, trusting the Lord with all of our heart, and returning to the Lord with all of our heart. In fact, it was Sunday, March the 8th, that I preached the first message on returning to the Lord with all of our heart, and then, bam, the COVID-19 hit our area. And that was the last time we met in worship in, uh, in this place before today. I wonder, was that a coincidence? When we start talking about returning to the Lord, and then all of a sudden we can't come back together. How does that fit in your theology? God wants us to return back to Him, but all of a sudden we can't even return back to each other. Somehow, maybe in our way of thinking that we had in our minds, that the only way to draw near to God was as a community, as a group. Well, maybe one of the things God wanted to teach us was that that He wanted us to return back to Him in our hearts. Not just in our church services. I have no doubt that God's using what's going on in this world and our nation to bring us back to Him. And what I mean by that is that God is using things like this to get our attention. And to show us that we cannot depend on ourselves or our own understanding, but that we must trust Him with all of our hearts. That's why this was so important. You see, many of us are very plan-oriented. We want to know what the rest of our life is going to look like. We want to know what tomorrow is going to look like, next week is going to look like, next month. And uh, we, God wants to teach us. And that's one thing I think God has been teaching us is how to trust Him because what we plan and reality are often total opposites like 2020 has been so far. But that's really not what I'm preaching on today. I just wanted to refresh your memory with where we are in hearing from God as a church. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is where we started one year ago today. Not today, but one year ago this month. But today, since we're regathering for the first time since March the 8th, I thought it would be appropriate to begin the last of those seven things that's connected with the phrase, with all my heart. We said, love, seek, serve, obey, trust, return. Psalm 9-1 points out the seventh Thing that we're to do with all of our heart. Psalm chapter 9 verse 1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Praise. Our hearts ought to be filled with praise that we're able to come back together like this. But what has praise been our response throughout all of this? You know, what do I have to praise God for in the midst of all this pandemic and all this craziness and cultural war that's going on in our world. What do I really have to praise God for? I don't, I don't really feel like praising God. Things are too hard. Things, uh, this world is ugly and it's mean and it's hateful and my needs are great and my supply is small. I, I can't praise God because I don't feel very grateful. And I would be a hypocrite to do what I don't feel. But you know, we're, as humans, we're so silly We relegate almost all of our experiences down to the lowest level of who we are, our emotions. Take, for example, love. We relegate that down to a feeling. 
when most of the time that it's used in the Bible, it's a verb. It's, a, it's an action word. It's, it's something you do. It's not something you feel. For example, when God says, love your neighbors, you love yourself, but your neighbor's mean and ugly and, and hateful and spiteful and bitter and, and, and negative and critical, and, and you think, well, I don't feel like loving them, so I'm off the hook because God didn't mean that I had to love that kind of person. Did he or did he not? Yes, he did. But we, don't, we think God's not serious because we don't feel very loving towards that person, so we don't act very loving towards that person. But we're being disobedient because we have relegated that word down to an emotion. But I want you to look back at where we started in Psalm chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and I'm going to read those two verses. You'll see them on the screen. You can read them from your Bible. And I want to see if you can pick out a phrase that is repeated in these two verses. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Did anybody pick up on a phrase that's repeated four times in those two verses? I will. I will. Repeated four times in two verses. I think what God wants to, us to understand is that we need to learn to operate our will first. We need to do what God says to do. And don't worry about the feelings. They'll follow. They'll get in line with our will. Our will. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart, whether I feel like it or not. I've told you many times that Sometimes I show up here on Sunday mornings and I don't feel like doing church. You say, oh, you're a preacher. Well, let me ask you, do you always feel like doing church? Don't, aren't there some Sunday mornings you just would rather roll over, hit the snooze button and not get out of bed? Don't look at me like I'm the only one in this room feeling like that. I don't feel like, but then I show up to church. You know, one time my, my wife bumped me in the elbows. I said, why do I, get up? Why do I have to get up? She said, well, because you're the pastor. No, I was just a joke, but she really didn't do that. But I have to get up because I am the pastor. I'm obligated to be here. But you know what? If I weren't the pastor, I'd still come. Because I've not been a pastor all my life, but I've been in church all my life. But there's sometimes I sit right over there on Sunday morning, and I don't feel like opening my mouth to sing. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm discouraged. Maybe I feel defeated in some area of my life. But then I open my mouth out of obligation, out of duty, just to join in with everybody else because it's what we do. And I start singing. And it's something about obeying and just doing it that my God begins to change things in my spirit, in my heart. And I begin, to, that duty turns into delight. That drudgery turns into joy. But if I sat there and said, I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like it, I'd never do it. And that same thing is true in everyday life. If we relegate things down to our emotions, our feelings, we'll never do anything worthwhile. For example, how many of you are going to work tomorrow morning? The alarm goes off, let's say 5 o'clock, 5.30. You feel like getting out of bed? You feel like getting up and getting your shower, getting shaved or dressed or whatever. You feel like going to work in that same old job that you've been doing for years and years that you, you're looking forward to retirement. Do you feel like going? No, you don't feel like going, but guess what? You're going to go. You will go, right? 
And sometimes we give to the world things in a different way than we give to God. Somehow we approach God with feelings. And we approach the world with we, we will, we have to do it, so we're going to do it. What if we just approached God with our will? And said, Lord, I will love. I will love my neighbor. I, I will uh, uh, rejoice. I will praise you. And I'll just trust you to take care of my emotions. You would see that your emotions will get in line when you exercise your will. Brian referred to this a moment ago in Acts chapter 16. If you have your Bibles or you want to look on the screen, let me share with you what was going on in the Apostle Paul's life when this instance that Brian referred to a moment ago was, took place. Let's pick up with chapter 16 of Acts, verse 16. Let's see the context. Now it happened, Paul said, as we went to prayer, so they were headed to prayer meeting, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination, that is a demon spirit, met her, met them. And they, this girl brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. You know, that's, I was sharing with the early crowd, that's a great verse right there. Uh, it gives me a little bit of comfort because we think the Apostle Paul was some super-duper Christian dude, right? Well, he was, but he was just a normal Christian. But here the Bible says he was what? I was glad to hear that he got greatly annoyed. I get greatly annoyed. You ever gotten greatly annoyed at somebody? Paul got greatly annoyed. That's pretty cool. But it's what he did with it. Now he commanded. He didn't, he didn't rebuke the little girl. It said he commanded uh, the spirit. He spoke to the spirit possessing the, that little girl and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Listen, there is, this is a picture of of what's going on in our society today. Paul and Silas and, and Luke, who was actually with them, writing this account, they were ministering in the name of the Lord. They were preaching the gospel of salvation. They weren't hurting anyone. In fact, they were promoting peace. But because their way interfered with the way of the world, they were getting persecuted. What was it that got these... Um, people so upset. What was it that made them so mad at Paul and Silas? They lost money. You see, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's what's driving this culture mad. Why people are acting so crazy in our world is because they're driven mad by the love of money. It all boils down to the love of money. People don't think they're getting what they deserve. So it's the love of money. And they're persecuting those who are trying to live right and good and healthy. And so they're being, they were, Paul and Silas were dragged into court, found guilty, not even really a court. They just were accused. And then without a trial, 
without any kind of justice whatsoever, they tore their clothes off of their bodies and commanded them to be beaten with rods. A violent mob beat them near to death. And then they laid, it says they laid many stripes on them and they threw them into prison. So the beating wasn't enough. Now we've got to lock them up and try to shut them up. And they put them in prison, in the inner prison, verse 24, and secured their feet in the stocks. So now Paul and Silas, have, have, they're just minding their business. They're, they're doing what God's called them to do. They're teaching and preaching the way of God. And, and it so happens that this girl comes along who's annoying them. And, and they speak to that demon spirit. And it causes that demon spirit to come out. Well, now she loses the ability to be the fortune teller. And their prophet is gone. And now they're getting a beating. And now they're thrown into jail. They're in the inner prison. And they're not only been beaten, but now they're locked and stocks, hands, and feet. And if that were you, how would you feel? How would you feel? Be honest. How would you feel? We think Paul and Silas didn't feel anything. Oh, they felt. I'm sure they felt annoyed. I'm sure they felt angry. I'm sure they felt hurt. I'm sure they felt uh, uh, betrayed. I'm sure they felt a lot of negative human emotions because of what had happened to them. And see, that's what's wrong with our world. Everybody's reacting on their base level emotions in this world, including God's people. But what did Paul and Silas do in the midst of those feelings? The next verse, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. They exercise their will above their emotions. We will turn our lives over to God. We will commit it to God. And we will still yet praise Him for all that we're going through. Listen, folks, what if the world saw that? Because it says in the end of that verse 25, and the prisoners were listening. Listen, the world is watching how God's people are responding to all the mess in our world. And if we as God's people act and talk like Everybody else with the same stupidity and foolishness and and hateful words and hateful speech. We're not doing this world any good. They need to see that things are different with us. That we live and march to the beat of a different drum. That we don't step, stoop down to that level of hatred and violence and, and griping and complaining and criticizing. And Paul and Silas, if anybody... Besides Jesus Christ, if any human beings besides Jesus Christ had the right to gripe and complain, it was the Apostle Paul. You read his resume one day in the book of Acts about shipwrecks and beatings and all that that he went through, stonings. He had the right to gripe and complain more than anybody, any of us in this room. But he never did. At least not written. Doesn't mean he didn't feel like it. Doesn't mean he didn't feel the same things you and I feel when things aren't going good for us. But he exercised his will. And that's when the blessing came. Verse 26, suddenly an earthquake. And the doors flew open. And then we know the rest of the story. The jailer came and Paul and Silas led that jailer to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, we're not, lead, we're not going to lead those who persecute us to faith by arguing with them, fighting with them. We're going to lead them to faith when they see that we act differently. And they're going to say, what's different about you? 
How is it that you can respond when all this is going on and all that you've been through? How can you respond with such joy and peace and, and love and, and praise? Why are you grateful? You're weird. Why are you so weird? Then you can say, Jesus made me this way. It's because Jesus lives in me that I can respond this way. And the jailer and his whole household was converted to Jesus because Paul and Silas didn't stoop to the level of this world. Sometimes praise is a sacrifice. Sometimes we have to do it when we don't feel like doing it. You know, it's easy to praise when everything's going good. But in these days, it's not so easy. Maybe that's why the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You know how when you go to the grocery store and you buy fruit or produce, uh, it has to be weighed when you check out? They have these special scales there, either at the produce stand, you can tell how much you're getting, or, and then when you check out, they have to weigh them, make sure you, you're paying for what you got. Well, what if there were, we had a set of scales here at the altar? And I invited us to come forward at the altar and, and let's weigh Something. Not just any scales, but special scales. Scales that could measure special fruit. The fruit of our lips. What if there was a scale that could measure the fruit of our lips? What if there was a scale that could measure the fruit of our hearts? Our motives. Do you know there is a scale, such a scale? God knows and sees it. But what if we had literally that kind of physical scale? And I would invite you to come up here and weigh the fruit of your lips, the griping and complaining and the criticizing and all the negativity against the praise and the joy. And everybody here could see it. You could see mine. Which would weigh more? The fruit of griping and complaining and criticizing and hatred and all that negativity? Or... or the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. The world doesn't pay us any attention because we're acting just like them. The Bible says we're to praise the Lord with all of our heart, not half-hearted praise, with all of our heart. That's when things are good and when things are bad. That's when things are, are going our way and when things are going opposite of our way. You know, it's funny, or should I say sad, that we don't have to practice griping and complaining. It kind of comes natural. Why does it come so natural to gripe and complain? Because it's part of our fallen sinful nature. It's just easy to respond. Our default is that. That's why we need to practice praise so much. We need to overcome our natural sinful tendencies because you see you cannot complain and praise at the same time. It cannot dwell in the same heart at the same time. 
You see, like I said on that front row, and, and if I'm discouraged or defeated or, or, or whatever it is, and, and, and I want to overcome that, the only way to drive that out is not by dwelling on my circumstances. The only way to drive that out is by lifting up my voice and my heart in praise. And it cannot dwell in the same heart. One will cast out the other. You want to cast out the negativity in your heart, the griping, the complaining? Then start praising God, and you'll see that all that just flows out of you. That's why we need to practice praising God with all of our heart. Casting Crowns wrote this song years ago, I Will Praise You in This Storm. It's one of the mo their most popular songs, and the chorus reads like this. And I'll praise you in this storm, and I will lift my hands, that you are who you are, no matter where I am. In other words, they're saying, God is God, no matter what you're going through. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand, you never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I'll praise you in this storm. So throughout this experience with the COVID virus and the quarantine and all of our cultural issues that are going on, what do we have to praise God for? Well, God gave me three words. I'm going to share them with you briefly this morning. Three words, bam, bam, bam. He gave me one right after the other this, this week. First of all was journey. Journey. Now, if you're like me, and, and this is just how men are. Ladies, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Probably not a secret, but I'm going to let you know. Men are all about getting there, the destination. If you take a trip, you see, Brian, Brian always tries to beat his record from Thomasville to Tennessee. This year, he, he missed it by far. His record's eight minutes and eight hours and seven minutes. Said it took him nine hours this time. So, you know, he's, he's got some tightening up to do, but that's me. You know, when I'm going on a trip, I want to get there. The fun starts when you get there, right? That's a man thing. I don't know, maybe if there are a few women like that, I doubt it, but my woman's not like that. My woman's all about the journey, the journey. And if I think the journey begins at 6, not according to my wife, that means 8. <laughs> and we're already two hours behind getting there, okay? But the journey, I'm going to ask you something. Who knew COVID-19 was coming? God did. Did you know? Of course not. Do you believe God controls everything? That he's sovereign over all things? Then could it be that he is allowing us to go on this journey. All this journey we've been on all the time that we haven't been able to meet, all this social distancing, all this stuff that's going on in our world today. Could it be that God has us on a journey? And see, we just want to get there. We just want it to be what? Over. God says it'll be over <laughs> when the journey's done. When the journey's done. See, so in that way, and I have to admit this, I, I said this in the early service, and Tana didn't, wasn't here to hear it, so I have to say it while she's here. In that way, women are probably more like God. Because God's more about the journey than the destination. You say, how do you know that? Well, if God was all about the destination, what are you doing here? If you're saved, and God's all about the destination, where would you be right now? You'd be in heaven, right? I mean, if God was all about the destination, not the journey, the moment you gave your heart to Jesus, kaboom, you'd be in heaven. But God has a journey. He's got a process to bring you through. 
to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, right? Same with COVID-19 and everything else that's going on in this world. David was exiled from his hometown. He was being chased and pursued by King Saul. David couldn't even go to worship in the temple, much like you haven't been able to for the last five months. And the Bible says, tells us about one thing he desired more than anything during those days. But he was on a journey, like Psalm 23, 4, which he wrote. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He was on that journey. It was a valley. You're going through a valley? But look at chapter 27, verse 1. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat at my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. And look at verse 4. One thing I desire of the Lord. That will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to pray or to inquire in his temple. David had a longing. I just want to go to church. I'm tired of running and being exiled and living in caves. I just want to be with God's people. But God wouldn't let him. God had another man on the throne that hated David, tried to kill him. But yet all throughout, we see David praising God. Psalm 57. In fact, if you read the introduction in your Bible to Psalm 57, it reads like this. To the chief musician set to the tune, Do Not Destroy, a mictam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. So here's a psalm, a sing, a song of praise. David's writing as he's in deep trouble. And he says in verse 4, My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. So he was among the violent, the wicked, the hateful, those who sought his life, a low point in his life. But here's what he said in verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. I will. I will. I will sing and praise and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. Why? For your mercy reaches to the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth. So at the lowest point in David's life, as he's on this journey, what's he doing? Praising. Can you praise God in this storm? Certainly. Will you? Lessons. It's the second word, lessons. David wrote, or whoever wrote all of Psalm 119, verse 71, he said, It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. What have you learned during this time? What lessons has God been teaching you? I would like for you, I invited our 830 crowd, I invite you sometime this week, maybe even this afternoon, to sit down and to think about the journey God's had you on. And think about the lessons God's been teaching you. Some of the things God's been teaching me are this. Count your blessings. Don't take anything for granted. You know, reading in Ecclesiastes this past week, and I told Tan, I said, poor Solomon, he must have been really depressed when he wrote that book because everything was meaningless to him. 
Everything was meaningless to him. But the point of that book, or one of the points of that book is don't take life for granted. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Count your blessings. Things God's given you today. Another lesson is gratefulness and contentment. Be content with the things you have. Be content with the life God's given you. You'll waste your life seeking to gain more or lose your life. That's what the Bible says. He that tries to save his life or gain more will lose it. But he who loses that pursuit will gain it. In other words, just quit. Stop striving, striving to get the biggest, the, be- the, the best, the, the most expensive, to get more, to get ahead. Just be grateful and content and let God, who knows all things, plan your way. Let him direct your steps. And if he decides to exalt you, if he decides to give you more, then bless him for it and use it for him. Gratefulness and contentment. Trusting God is another lesson that God's been teaching me. Trust God. You know, we've, we've had to learn how to trust God throughout this time. Our plans are not His plans always. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. We've had to learn. We're learning to trust in God. That He knows the way. He knows what's best and right. I've learned what's really important. I'm learning what's really important in life. All the stuff that we can do without. That we thought we couldn't live without. God is showing us in these last five months there's some things we can do without. We don't have to be as busy as we were. We don't have to do things the way we've always done them. We can do and, and we can be content sometimes just to be at home with our family. We can be content to cook a meal in our own kitchen. And then, this is not our home. That's another lesson. We expect this world to be perfect. No sickness, no disease, no wickedness, no violence, no hatred. Everybody gets along, peaceful, and everybody loves each other. That's what I long for. But it ain't going to happen here. Not as long as man's in control. I don't care what man it is or what woman it is. As long as a man or woman, as long as it's men and women, as long as it's humanity in control, there's not going to be peace here on earth. In fact, it's going to get worse and worse, the Bible tells us, to usher in, like we just sang at the very moment, verse song, these are the days of Elijah, ushering in the coming of the day of the Lord, when Jesus Christ reigns supreme. Then the Prince of Peace will rule. Then there'll be peace, but not before then. Point is, this is not our home. Don't expect heaven on earth. All that's going on in this world should remind us we're just passing through. We're strangers here. We don't belong here. You know what? My home is not Thomasville, Georgia. My home is not 5215 Georgia Highway 122. My home is not 1025 North Dawson Street. My home is not Pearl River, Louisiana. My home is not Natchez, Mississippi. None of those places are my home. My home is in heaven. And I won't be at rest until I'm home. Those are some lessons God's teaching us. The third word was opportunities. Opportunities. Opportunities come packaged in many different ways. 
We think they come nice and neatly packaged with a bow on top. And we just undo it really daintily. You know, don't you just love those people at Christmas time? They daintily undo the bow and they daintily unwrap the present. No, not at our house. We rip, okay? But sometimes we think that's how uh, opportunities come, dressed and decorated in nice packages. Sometimes they come in horrible-looking packages like COVID-19. What opportunities has God given you through COVID-19? Second Chronicles, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. For a great and effective door, Paul says, has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Well, it would be so nice if that were said, and a great and effective door is open to me, and I have many people on my side. That would been a sweet way to put it. But opportunities can come wrapped in ugly disguises. What opportunities has God given you through COVID-19? What about more family time? What about a refocusing of your priorities? What about removing some unnecessary things? What opportunities? Sit down and think about the opportunities that God's given you. You know, some of the things he's done at our church, he's given some opportunities here. I'll mention two of them. First of all, July of 2019, actually, we were already at work on, on our media system. And it was uh, November that we went live. We did some tests before that, but November of 2019 is when we went live online, Facebook and YouTube for the first time. So when the COVID-19 hit and we couldn't meet together for worship, we didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to shift the gear. We didn't have to put the brake on. We just kept doing church. Y'all just couldn't come. So, so God knew all this was coming and he prepared this church. And, and we thought it was simply to minister to our shut-ins. Because our shut-ins, we didn't have a quality video and audio system that would produce anything that they could see and hear. And so our motive for doing this was to share our services with our shut-ins, but God knew something more was coming. And then we began to see that there were people who were joining us online who would never darken the doors of this church. They would never come here, but they would tune in on Facebook or YouTube and hear the Word of God. Opportunities come disguised as curses. Then I thought of our, this past week we had vacation Bible school. Y'all know we had vacation Bible school last week? And guess what? It's the first time since I've been here, probably the first time ever, that it wasn't held at church. Oh my goodness. We're heathens. It was held in different people's homes. And God was pleased as our kids showed up and as our teachers and workers were there. And it was refreshing to see how God was at work in those small groups around the county as Vacation Bible School still kept going. And we had an opportunity. What, we're, what I'm saying this morning is sometimes things like this tell a church, give us the opportunity to see that we don't always have to do things the way we've always done them. That things can be done differently sometimes and still be pleasing to God and still get His message across. Well, so this, this today or sometime this week, I would like for you to, this is kind of your homework assignment. Take some time in your quiet time this week 
think of those three words. God, this journey, thank you for this journey that I'm on. Lord, show me the lessons that you're teaching me. Help me to count my blessings. Help me to see what's really important. Certainly God's teaching you the same way he's teaching me. And God, what opportunities have you opened for me or that are in front of me that I don't see as opportunities because they didn't come nice and neatly packaged? And my friends, if, if you draw a blank, doubtful that you would, but if you draw a blank in any of those three areas, I'll give you one more. And that word is God. If you can't think of anything else to praise God for, you can praise God for God. Psalm chapter 9, verse 2, where we started. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. We just sang, there's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like our God. We can sing praise to him. Look at Psalm chapter 86. I want to begin with verse 12. Psalm 86, verse 12. says, I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. There's that phrase. And I will glorify your name forever. Why? Why should I praise the Lord? Look at verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Why should you praise God? If you don't have any other reason, if you can't think of any positive things on your journey, if you can't think of any lessons God's been teaching you, if you can't think of any opportunities that are open to you, then you can praise God. Why can you praise God? Because he is good and because he's forgiven your sin, because he is abundant in mercy. What is his mercy? It's withholding what we deserve. Mercy is God withholding what we deserve. I, like Paul, deserve to be beaten. I, like Paul, feel the, to be the chief of sinners. I, like any other sinner, deserve to go to hell. But God in His rich mercy through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has withheld what I deserve and He's given me what I don't deserve. Boy, do I have something to praise God for. Look at verse 6. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. I can praise God because he's a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. And verse 10 says, he's a wonder working God. You are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Verse 8, among, God, there, among the gods, little g, there's no one like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. We can praise God because he alone is God. There is no other God. He is sovereign. He's in control. He overrules and rules over all nations, the Bible says, all government, all rulers. He supersedes them all. He's in control. You know where this world is headed to? Some people would say to hell in a handbasket. I would say this nation, this world is headed to God. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to believe in God. It means that it's all boiling down to the point God says it's going to come. That every knee will bow. Some will be in hell when they bow to be too late. Some will be in heaven. Some will still be on earth. But every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.
to the glory of God the Father. Verse 13, how, why, should, why can we praise God? For great is your mercy toward me. You've delivered me from my, you de- delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. What is Sheol? It's the, it's the grave, it's death, it's hell. How can, why should I praise God? Because he's delivered my soul from hell and the grave. It doesn't mean I'm not going to die. But when I die and I'm being lowered in that grave, it can't keep me. Just like it couldn't keep Christ. The Bible promises I'll be raised again. Verse 15, why can I praise God? But you, O Lord, are God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. And verse 17 says that the psalmist says in the last part of that verse, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Think of God's blessing and his help and his peace and his comfort that he's given you during this time. So if you can't think of anything in the journey or the lessons of the opportunities, you can praise God just for God. I promise you, it'll change your perspective. I want you to think about this week, those scales. Every time you get annoyed, you're going to get annoyed. You'll probably get annoyed on your way home. I told the 830 crowd, I said, that, the reason that verse ministers to me because uh, I get annoyed, and, but sometimes the things I get annoyed at, I shouldn't get annoyed at. Like when you're number five in a line at the red light, and the light turns green, and you're still sitting there, three minutes later and nobody's moved, I get greatly annoyed. And I don't always, always respond rightly. <laughs> I heard that. But I need to remember, and I challenge you to remember, the scales. The weight of our words, the fruit of our lips, I want the fruit of my lips to, to be over here where it's love, joy, peace, fruit of the Spirit, not the griping, the complaining, the criticizing, the negativity. I want those prisoners who are listening like they were listening to Paul and Silas. I want those, this, the people, the world who's listening. And listen, folks, you think people aren't watching you and listening to you? They are. They are. You have a circle of influence that you may know nothing about people who are watching and listening to you. Those people who are watching and listening, I want them to see something different. Which will create an opportunity for them to see Christ. Where they will have the choice at that moment to trust him or not. But they will see Christ in you. As June plays, this is our invitation time. We're not doing a come forward invitation, but you can come forward to the Lord. I want you to bow your heads in just a moment and I want you to picture yourself at the, at the altar of God standing or kneeling before Him and, and just ask Him to help you to praise Him with all your heart to make that the characteristic of your life a life of praise a life of gratefulness and that others are infected by that. Would you bow with me? And would you spend that time with the Lord?